0: What is up, Parkview Christian Church? Good to see you guys, man. Hey, listen, we want to welcome you here at Orland. We want to welcome you at Homer Glenn, New Lennox, and also our Facebook live feed. We want to say hello to you guys. Hey, do this for me. Why don't you just underneath that comment section just say where you're tuning in from. We're just glad that you chose to be with us here at Parkview today. But listen, um, I am just so honored to be able to be back with you guys today. This has been my home for 13 years before I moved to California, and it was an amazing time. But a lot of you guys have no idea who I am, and so let me just introduce myself just a little bit. My name is Brian and uh, I have been married to my wife Cherie, for 16 years. We have two beautiful little kids, my daughter Aniston who is 9, my son Easton who is 6. And so yes, we named my daughter after Jennifer Aniston and uh, my son after the baseball bat. So, we are that shallow of people, that is all we got. That's nothing holy about it. So, but but my entry into ministry here at Parkview isn't really uh, kind of the normal one because I started off as a volunteer. I, we moved here from South Dakota after I finished playing professional baseball, moved here, and um, it was an amazing time because I started to, as a, a communion volunteer. So that means if you are on the communion team in any capacity, you too will become a pastor someday. That's just kind of how it is, right? No, I went from a communion volunteer to communion leader. Then was in a small group, from a small group to small group leader to small group coach. I helped with assimilation. I started the Regeneration Young Adult Ministry with Pastor Jason Anhalt. And then one day on a drive from Illinois to Iowa with my wife, she dared me to try out for the worship team. I tried out for the worship team, made it, then became a worship leader. And all of that being a volunteer... But at that same time, I was working in the health and fitness industry, and God started to kind of tap on my shoulder a little bit and say, "Hey, I've got something different for you." So I fought him for a couple of years until finally I said, "God, I am tired of dry heaving in the parking lot of my job." You ever had one of those jobs? And say, "God, I'm ready." So I texted Pastor Bill Brown and said, "Bill, I'm ready to go." He says, "All right, take the dive." Took the dive, $30,000 pay cut, jumped into ministry, best decision I ever made. I was here at the Orland Park campus for six months as the operations director until Pastor Tim approaches me and says, hey, listen, Brian, I got this idea. I want you to become the first campus pastor this little thing called multi-site, to which I looked him in the eye and I said, no, not a chance, not going to do it. I am not going to screw up people's spiritual lives. That is not me at all. Until our CFO, Wayne Cron, came up to me and kind of cornered me and said, listen, bro, I think God's leading you to do this. So I said yes, and I became the first campus pastor at Lockport, and it was the greatest, greatest time in my seven years of existence. I. The, the friends that I made there, the lives that I had a chance to be a part of was just so humbling. And so I absolutely loved every single minute of it. Uh, and now it's the Homer Glen campus and God is doing tremendously th- great things there. New Lenox, brand new, all that good stuff. But I also remember about three years ago, God tapped me on the shoulder again and he says, Brian, I need you to go someplace else. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm doing good. Love what I'm doing. He says, no, I got another place for you to go. I said, okay, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to. He says, I want you to go to California. I said, Okay. Sounds great to me, you know, because snow sucks. That's what I'm just saying right now. So we moved to California, a little town called Manteca, California. Uh, I didn't realize until I moved there that Manteca actually means Lard in Spanish, so I live in Lard, is where I'm at, if you're ever wondering. But Crossroads Grace Community Church has been so, so good. God has been doing some fantastic things there, and so I'm very honored. But I'm honored to be back just to be able to tell you guys this at Parkview. You may not know this, that I would not be where I'm at, my family would not be where we're at today. Had it not been for this amazing church, the amazing friends that we've made, the amazing leadership, people that I call family now. If you are a guest here today, you need to know you are in a great, great place. If you're watching us on Facebook, you need to come here and experience what's happening at Parkview because it shaped me as a person, as a Christian, my family, and has continued to shape and support me even after I've been gone for so long. So that's why it's an honor to be back in front of you just so I could tell you thank you. And then I ultimately really, really love you guys. And so thank you for letting me be back today with you guys today. So um, guys, I know a lot of you are like, hey, who's this guy? Why don't you zip it, Skippy? And let's get on to it. So let's do it. Let's get after it today. So we're going to continue in our series on the summer at Parkview. And today I want to introduce you to someone you may have never met before, maybe never heard before, but I guarantee after we're done today, you are always going to remember them after today. It's found in Judges chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. So if you have your Bibles with you, Crossroads Grace apps or your Parkview apps, you want to open up there, we'd love for you to join us in Judges chapter 4. Well, and while you do that, let me just tell you a quick little story. Now, I mentioned my wife, Cherie. We've been married 16 years in August. Uh, and not only is she smoking hot and a great, great mother, she's also a nurse anesthetist, which means that she puts people to sleep for surgery. Ann wakes them up. Big part. Got to do both. Okay. Uh, Which means she's crazy Yoda smart as well. Just crazy, crazy Yoda smart. But the other thing that you may not know is that she is tremendously competitive. Tremendously competitive. In fact, I played baseball in college. That's where I met her. And she actually was on a track scholarship there. So she was crazy, crazy good at that. She actually still holds records in, in her high school for track records. And no, she wasn't racing barnyard animals in the middle of Iowa. That's not how it works, okay? Be nice, people, be nice. She was tremendously gifted. And so we met through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And when we were there, we had all kinds of great memories that I remember as we were dating. And one of the time I remember when I was trying to impress her, we had a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, and there was a question that got asked of us. And so when the the time for me to answer came around, I thought, you know what? I'm gonna impress Sheree with my knowledge, my wisdom, my biblical know-how. And so I pushed back in the chair, leaned back, and instead of knowledge coming out of my mouth, I farted instead. And that is, that's how I impressed her. Little did she know the rest of her life was gonna be like, I also remember a time that I was in the cafeteria and uh, we were, I was eating an ice cream cone. I thought, man, this tastes funky. So I said, Shree, does this smell funny to you? And of course she leaned over and I jammed it in her face. And then I ran away thinking I'd get to my Jeep in time, forgetting that she was a track star who then beat me to my car, grabbed the ice cream cone, smeared it all over my windshield and she totally won that. But the one that I totally remember the best is that we had a fellowship of Christian athletes hang out night after hours in our, like our gym. Let me remind you of a couple of things. This is a, a fun hangout night with a bunch of Christians. Please remember those two things because the next thing I know, we decided to play a pickup game of basketball. Guys against girls, we thought that would be kind of fun. and It was fun for a while until the guys started to win. And the next thing I know is that I heard this sound that I would soon get to know very, very well over 16 years. And it sounded a little bit like this. And what that was, and I didn't know in the moment, was Cherie's competitive switch flipping on in that moment. Because the next thing I know, when I'm going up for a rebound, I feel this precordial thump to my chest that felt like a baseball bat to my sternum. Only to look down, it's my 100-pound soon-to-be wife elbow me in the chest to be able to keep me from getting a rebound. And I look at her and I say, what the heck? And she looks at me, I swear to you, she says, what, can't handle it? I swear. (laughs) Head spun around the whole nine yards, no, 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 no. And I looked at her and I said, no, I I mean, yes, I mean, no. I mean, you don't have to do it so hard, you know? And and I swear in that moment, then she like takes her elbow, she sharpens a little bit, she goes, and she walks away all smug. Like, that's it. And I look at her, I'm like, I've got to marry this woman. Because if I don't, she's going to kill me. Somehow, she will kill me. But I think I say that because there is something amazing about a strong woman. Am I right? There's something about a strong woman. And not like China, the professional wrestler strong, you know what I'm saying? But like, strong in your convictions, strong in your love of family, strong in your love for life, strong in your love for Jesus. There is nothing like a strong, driven, confident woman. And that is why I'm so pumped up to study exactly that today. Because today we're going to get a sneak peek at one of the most fascinating characters in the entire Bible and one of the strongest women that you will ever encounter. And I believe today that after you leave here today, you are going to hear about a hero unlike anybody you've ever met before. But to begin, we need to understand the stage that she's coming from, when she steps onto the scene. And that's in Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1 is where we find out. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in herosheth Hagiam, because he had 900 chariots, chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now, anyone that studies the book of Judges, you need to understand a little bit about what's happening. It's called the crazy cycle that God's people would go on. They were the definition of insanity because time and time again, they would do the same thing over and over and they would expect this different result. See, they would worship God, everything would be going great. Then they'd start worshiping another God. They'd get into trouble. They'd start to whine and complain and stomp around. Then they'd cry out to God to help them. It's basically like raising a nation of toddlers, you know, parents, you know what I'm saying? The whining, the complaining, like this is what God had to do. This is what the people of God would do over and over again. And in this case, we find out that they were being treated cruelly, the scripture tells us, by these people called the Canaanites that were led by King Jabin. But King Jabin wasn't the one that was doing all the cruel things. It actually was his commander in chief of his commander of his army, Sisera. And because of what Sisera was doing to the people, they cried out to God for help and say, we've had enough, I tap out, I need you, God. And God's response all the time was to, to appoint a judge or someone from their own ranks that would rise up to be able to lead the people out of trouble and back to himself. But this time, he chooses someone far different that the people weren't exactly expecting. That's where we pick up Judges Judges 4, verse 4. It says, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So here we finally get to meet our hero, and her name is Deborah. Now, I realize in our world that we have had a lot of famous Debbies that we have interacted with. For instance, you might have heard of Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Anybody remember Debbie Reynolds? Facebook remember Debbie Reynolds? If you don't, just she's the mother of Princess Leah. Okay. That helps you a little bit, Debbie Reynolds. Then, of course, there is Debbie Gibson, right? Only in our dreams, Debbie Gibson, you know, good stuff. And then there is Debbie Dunn, it's my mother-in-law. There she is, right? Contractually, that's enough. How about Debbie Serrano from the Homer Glen campus? Debbie's, a, what the nuts, Debbie Serrano, love it. All right, or there is uh, Debbie uh, Del Prior over at New Lenox campus, uh, the wife of Pastor Richie, okay, yeah the only couple I've ever met in the history of the world that a date to Alta is a fun time. You know, that's a good thing. The only bald guys can make that joke. It only works for us. But there is one Debbie that's greater, more famous that all of them put together. And I think you would all agree that little Debbie is the greatest Debbie of all time. Am I right? Like, Like an oatmeal cream pie up in here, you know, anybody want an oatmeal cream pie? Anybody? Anybody? No? All right. There we go. Oatmeal cream pie. All right. Facebook, that was 3D, right at you, right in your face, right there, okay? But our Deborah is more famous than all of them, if you can even imagine. Now, our Debbie, she was one of only 15 judges that was a female. She was the only one. All the other ones were guys. And they ranged from three to 80 years. And that was who our Debbie was. She was a, a judge. And in just these first two verses, we find out so much about her. Because the question that we all ultimately have is, who is Deborah and why should I care? Like, why should I ultimately care about Deborah? Now, the first thing we find out about Deborah is that she was a prophet. And a prophet was uh, the voice box for God, which meant that, that God would communicate to them and through them to direct the people back to him when they were in trouble. And Deborah continued to, uh, to breathe rarefied air because there was only five women prophetesses in the entire Old Testament. She was only one of five. So Deborah had been called into a very male-dominated position and she had to establish herself to be able to lead out God's plan to free the people of Israel. But that's not all she was. It was a key distinction of who she was, but there's a second thing that she was that we read about in verse 5. Verse 5 tells us this. It, It says that she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So so judging is what Deborah was doing as she sits underneath a palm tree that's named after her. I mean, you know that you've made it in life when you have stuff named after you, right? Like I know when I was in Lockport leading, there was a restaurant called Honeyfields. They named an omelet after me. It's called the PB omelet. You can get it today. It's the best-selling omelet on there. I get no commission from it, but I should. Okay, it's a fantastic thing, right? She's got, she's she's ruling there. People would come to her. She would rule on things that she was, that's what a judge did during that time. But you see, there was more to being a judge than being like Judge Judy. A judge of God had a much bigger, bigger role. And author Michelle McLean Walters actually described this in her book on Deborah, which we can read about here. Uh, And it says, within Israel, the task of the judge was more than just determining legal cases. The judge was the leader of the people. The judge was the president or king of the nation. The judge was the military and civil leader. When God raised up a person to become the judge of his people, that person became the savior, deliverer, and liberator of the people, rescuing them from the oppressor. The judge had the responsibility to give wise counsel to God's rebellious people and also bring deliverance from the oppressor. So a judge was like the hardcore leader of the people. They, they, they got their hands dirty. They would plan battle plans. They got, gave motivational speeches. Sometimes they even led the troops in the battle. So Deborah, man, she was kind of hardcore. So how would Deborah's role as a judge play out, though? Like, like what does her rule look like? So... Hang tight because the story is about to get really, really good. See, look at verse six where we pick up again. Verse six tells us she went, f- or she sent for Barak, son of Abdamim, from the Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, "The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you: Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Cicero, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him back into your hands." So check this out. Deborah the judge calls for Barak, who is the commander of the army of Israel, to come to her. And again, this is very uncommon because a woman to command a man was very rare at that time. But what doesn't seem to happen is that neither Deborah or Barak are hesitant in this arrangement that they have at all. She actually says, he's like, listen, hey, Barak, come to me. I got a message from God. It's for you. Yeah, yeah. God tells me you got to go get 10,000 men Get ready for battle because God is going to lead you into battle and you're going to defeat this cruel man who, despite his 900 chariots. Now, that's the second time in seven verses that we've heard this phrase about 900 chariots mentioned. So why in the world should I even care about that? What's up with that? Well, here's what you need to know. The, the chariots for number one, uh, the, it's kind of like back in the day, that was like the, when the new iPhone came out. Not everyone had one, but you really, really wanted it. That's what the chariots were. Not every army had chariots, but, but the reality was is if you wanted them because they weren't like what you see on TV, because they didn't ram the front lines and lead everybody into battle like you see on, on movies and such. No, what they really were, they were mop-up duty. So if anyone tried to run away, they would send the chariots out after them to be able to run them down and go, go, go get them. And no one could retreat because these chariots would go and kill them. So mentioning these 900 chariots was a way of saying that Sisera's army was more advanced, more prepared. It was going to, to have no one was going to be alive if he tried to attack Sisera's army. So the mentioning of that is also to realize that this is a, a, a utter, uh, this is going to be a, a biblical proportions of defeat. No chance it's going to happen that they're ever going to win. It's like the Golden State Warriors playing anybody that LeBron the whiner is on. Like any team that he's on, they're going to get worked over, right? Right, that, that's what I'm talking about. So, so Barack's army should have been completely wiped out. So this makes Barack's next statement a little expected, but also a little bit odd. See, look at verse 8, it tells us this. Barak said to her, this is to Deborah, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now it makes sense that Barak will be a little weary of going into this battle. I mean, we just kind of talked about that. Last week, Pastor Todd talked about Gideon and you might remember when there's 135,000 Midianites and they're standing across from 300 people of God that have basically been chosen to fight because they had good table manners and they could drink water the right way. I mean, this is what they were up against. But Barack had a right to be scared. But why? Why would he want Deborah to come with him? You know, because I mean, up until this point, this is a guy thing. The guys would take charge; they would lead people in a battle. So, why would he want Deborah? Well, some people might say, well, it just goes to show you like how bad the leadership was during that time. Other people might say, you know what? This is an example of how debased these people were that they had to have a woman fight their battle for them. But if you think that way, I think you might be missing out on a moment here. Because what if, ins- what if instead of thinking of Deborah this way, we thought of her this way, right? Do you know who that is? That is Merida, right? Merida from Disney. She's a fiery redhead, shoots bow and arrows, wrestles bears. She kicks bad guy booty all the time. She was the bomb. Like it was the first princess that Disney created that wasn't the damsel in distress that the guy had to go save and all that kind of stuff. No, she was a hardcore leader in and of herself. This is our Deborah. This is our Debbie. She was not only a prophet, not only a judge, but she was a leader. Deborah was a strong and confident leader. So why would Barack want Deborah to come with him? Because if you're going into battle, you want the best people on your side. You want someone that could fight and lead like Merida, but also that's connected to God. That was Deborah. And here's what I want us to remember more than anything else today. That a leader led by God is who we should want to be led by. A leader led by God is someone that we should want to be led by. But hold tight to that because the story's not over yet. Let's take a look at verse 9. Verse 9 we pick up and says, Certainly I will go with you, says Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went under his command. Deborah also went with him. So Deborah says, okay, check it out, Barak. It, it, I'll go with you. If you want me to go, I'll go with you, no problem. But check this out. Because you put conditions on God's calling and did just follow it as you were supposed to. The victory won't be yours. The victory is going to go to a woman. To which somebody in this room is like, mm-hmm, you best it's going to go to a woman right now, you know? That's how it's going to be. But check this out. Deborah wasn't gloating. She was motivating. And I love what author Lynn Japinga says about this. In her book, she says this, that this fiery woman lit a fire under Barak. She encouraged him to take action and she provided motivation and strategy and insight. She knew the right time to act. He, in turn, did not appear to resent her leadership or direction. He saw her as the embodiment of God's presence. Deborah was the catalyst that spoke to the movement of God that moved people to action because that's what great leaders do. What great leaders do is they inspire others to see something inside themselves that they don't see in themselves. I mean, you'll see in just a second that Deborah wasn't on the front line of of the attack. I mean, she most likely knew this wasn't the best use of her skills. And so Barack did that. She was confident in Barack to lead the army, but she was leading by motivating, telling these soldiers what God has called them to do and that they will be victorious. But sometimes we just kind of miss out on this aspect of things. Because in our world, we think that if we're not leading, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Like somehow we're weak. Like somebody cut in on a line at Target. We got to buff up and be whatever. You know, I'm the leader, you know. But the truth, listen, the truth is the best leaders are the best followers because they know to listen to the best ideas. Best leaders are the best followers because they listen to the best ideas. Husbands, let me just tell you something right now. The way that you lead your family is not banging on your chest and say, it's my way or no way. No, no, no. The best way to lead your family is to find the best idea and do that idea, even if it doesn't come from you. That's the truth. Uh, ladies, let me just let you know, just a little secret for you, from me to you, is that um, you being right all the time is not always the best thing. Oh, I know, right? Facebook just shut down. They had no idea that women aren't right all the time. I get it, I get it. But the reality is, is that we're not supposed to be right all the time, our desire is to be holy. We want to follow God. Even if it's not, if, if the right thing is not our way, then we do the right thing instead. We want to follow God. We want to be holy. Again, my friends, remember, a leader led by God is who we should want to be led by. So, so the armies then, they kind of position themselves, these two armies, position themselves and get ready for attack. That's what Deborah speaks up again in verse 14. Jump over there with me if you will. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots, and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Deborah nudges Barak and says, hey, bro, let's go. Let's roll. It's time to get going. Hey, get the guys. Let's go. God says you're going to win this thing. So Barak heads off. But what we see here is that Barak didn't do two things. The two things that you notice here. First thing is that there was no hesitation from Barak. No hesitation at all. He, he yelled charge. He yelled freedom. He yelled Portillo's chocolate cake shakes to anybody that survives. Like, I don't know. He motivated him somehow, got him moving. And the, the men, they charged straight ahead. And the text tells us that they routed Sisera and all his chariots. They dominated them. And Barak never flinched in following Deborah's orders. And the second thing that you don't see is neither Deborah nor Barak disrespected each other's roles. They didn't disrespect each other's roles. Again, quoting Lynn Jopinga, she says this, that they did not try to do each other's jobs. They did not second guess each other. They did not try to protect their egos. They provide a model for men and women who work together. Deborah didn't go into the front lines of the battle and Barack didn't stay back to be able to direct the men for the backside. Each of them played their role. Even if the role seemed culturally off, they played their role and the victory came. The leadership and the victory in this battle came by God's direction through Deborah when the nation needed to win the most. Did you know that this isn't necessarily an isolated incident, though? Did you know that there's a reason to believe that in times of crisis, we have a tendency to look to women more than men? You might have heard of this idea of the glass ceiling. It's this informal barrier that keeps women from advancing in management roles in our society called the glass ceiling, However, there's been research by the Harvard Business Review that actually found that women have a greater chance of shattering that ceiling when an organization is facing crisis. In a study that they completed, it found that 70% of the time people will turn to a woman when the business is failing and to be able to right the ship. Some examples of that are Carly Fioroni. She took over Hewlett-Packard. Patricia Russo took over Lucent. Kate Swan took over W.H. Smith. Lynn Eisenhans took over Sunoco, And uh, Carol Bartz took over Yahoo. All when the companies were tanking, they looked to women to be able to bring it back up. So even societally, we will tend to look at women in leadership when we're in trouble. So perhaps, maybe God did the same thing. He looked to Deborah to win this battle that they needed so desperately, knowing that she was the one that was perfect for the mission. But when we left the story, the mission wasn't over, was it? It wasn't over. It said that Sisera fled on foot when the battle got too heated. But didn't Deborah tell us that, that, that God was going to let a woman get the victory? But as we read this story, immediately we're like, well, gosh, of course. I mean, we, we know who wins this. I mean, this is Deborah. It's Deborah's story, right? So she probably comes over to a chariot, rips a dead guy off, turns the chariot over, hops on, whips the horse, runs after Sisera, stabs him in the back, and everybody wins. Right? That's what you would think would happen. Deborah should be the winner. But check out what happens. Sisera runs away. He goes into this tribe of a, of a group of people that they had, uh, they had a treaty with. And so he walks through into this town, no doubt looking over his shoulder, wondering who's coming after to get him. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's a tent door that's open. And this woman by the name of J.L. is standing there ushering him in. And there's no question that J.L. knew exactly who this person was. And so she invites this man in. She gets him some food, some warm milk, place to lay, a little blanket, tucks him in snug as a bug in a rug, gets him all in there. And then this happens in verse 21. But J.L., Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep exhausted she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died <laughs> hey that's not the story you tell your kids before they go to bed is it you know good night little johnny dream of 10 pegs that's not what you dream of right that's crazy she just went gangster she's the original og that's what she is jl in the bible yeah i'm just telling you people and and listen. <laughs> And right after she gets done with this, check this out. Bible's so great. Check this out. Verse 22. (laughs) Just then, after she tent-pegged the guy, just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. I kind of think her voice changes. This is kind of how it is. She says, come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. Right? Right? And that is how the woman got the victory in the battle. It wasn't Deborah at all. It was J.L. the Barbarian who was flying the W flag outside her tent. Now that's a story, right? The victory came to a woman, but not the woman that you were expecting at all. People read your Bibles. This is good stuff. There's crazy stuff in here, right? <laughs> but what do we learn from any of this? Like, What are we supposed to... like? Other than not to go in a stranger's tent and drink hot chocolate, like what? (laughs) Are we getting out of this? Here's the deal. Better yet, here's here's the problem. The problem is, is that when we read stories like this, we get so caught up in the girl-boy stuff that we miss out on the God stuff. That when we read these stories, the problem is that in our society and even in our churches, we sometimes miss the message through the misogyny. That as we wrestle with stereotypes about what girls should do and guys should do and our upbringings, we miss completely out of the the point of the story altogether. In fact, you might have missed the whole point of the story, too, if you weren't careful. It's found in verse 14, and it says this. Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Guys, this whole story is about the Lord. It's about God. It's about his victory it's about him routing an army that should have destroyed the israelites it's about his glory but so often we make this stuff all about us no no i'm the leader she's not the leader they're not the leader i get the credit i should be on the front lines it's not her instead of realizing it's always about god the whole point of the bible the whole point of your life and my life is to bring god glory that's it It doesn't mean that we weren't created differently, though. From the very beginning, God made it very clear in Genesis 1. He says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God has given each of us abilities. As man and as woman, each abilities and passions and strengths that are really different from each other. But can we never lose sight of the fact that he he called us different only after he called us the same? He said that we were created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He told us twice before he called us different, he said we're the same. He said that you were created by the image of God. That's called the Imago Day, And what it means is that every single one of us, whether we're man or woman, we are smeared with the image of God on us. That he has placed in us his, his image as a man or as a woman. So when we have the spirit of the living God inside us, that when we accept Jesus into our life and He comes inside, the Holy Spirit empowers us. All of a sudden, the image of God that is on us has called us to do the things that He's called us to do. That He's given us abilities, He's given us strength, and that we should live that out because we are smeared with His image. But I know some of you are here today, maybe ladies, you're like, Pastor B, like I hear what you're saying, but check this out. I really actually like being a wife. I like being a mom. I don't don't know if everyone's cut out to be Zena Warrior Girl. Listen, I, I get it. I can totally agree. And that's why I love Deborah, because she has so many nuances, has so many different roles that women can relate to in so many different ways. My friends, listen to me. I've got a daughter. And I don't want my daughter to be something that she's not. But I also don't want her to miss out on who God says that she is. I want the same thing for my son. I don't want them to be something they're not, but I also don't want them to miss out on who God says that they are. As image bearers of the Imago Dei, all of us need to fulfill the calling that God has given us. Whatever that calling may look like in each one of us, and in our world today, we need the voice of Deborah more than ever before. Her voice is so important so that we could see how much God values women and how much he has blessed them in so many different ways. The story of Deborah shows us that women can be mothers and wives and homemakers. It also can be part of the Avengers or the Justice League or whatever else. It's vital to listen to the voice that God has given us all as image bearers of himself. And it's equally important that women embrace the calling God has on their life while we as men encourage them through our leadership. Again, our realization is that a leader led by God is who we should want to be led by. My friends, I tell you this with all honesty, you only follow leaders that are successful, don't you? Facebook, you get this. You know that there's people that you would follow only because they're successful. And so for all of us here, we only want to follow those that are going to lead us to where we want to go. Deborah did that. Her leadership was so strong that for 20 plus years, she led Israel in peace. So this victory is just one of many things that she had done so that people followed her because she was successful. But the question in your life is, who are you following? Who are you really, really following? Does their track record lead you toward success? Or does the track record lead you toward destruction and pain and heartache? See, when we come to communion, this is our time to remember the true leader in our lives of Jesus Christ you see Jesus is the true leader because we can look at his track record and say look at what he's done for us that despite the fact that we were sinners that we spit in his face on that cross he still loved us he gave up his life for us and in return he says listen I I want you to follow me come follow me I've got a better way I've got a better life for you is Deborah great yes but she's not Jesus Moses was he great yeah not Jesus Paul, Peter, anybody, yeah, they're great, but they're not Jesus. Only Jesus is the one that can save us, gives us salvation, frees us from our sins. That's the Jesus that we worship, and only through him can we find peace. So, as trays are passed in front of you today, and you find those two cups that are in there bread in the bottom, juice in the top, take them both out, hold on to them, because we're going to come back and commune together as a body of believers. I just want you to consider for just a moment, just a moment, who are you being led by? And the leader that's led by God is somebody that we should be led by. Perhaps Jesus is who you need to be led by today. Let him be the savior of your life. Let him lead you where he wants you to go. My friends, this is my last time to be able to be here with you this weekend. And I always end every time that I'm with any group by this one thing. And I tell you, tag your it. That when you come here, you are tagged by us to be able to tell you about Jesus. And we'll do that. We'll tell your family, your friends, anybody. But when you leave, we tag you. To go into this world and to do something with what you've heard. My prayer for you is that you do something with what you've heard. Maybe somebody today here needs to go and do something God has impressed on you. Whatever it is, go and do it. Be led by God. Trust Him. Tag your it. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. We ask right now that you would embrace us in your love. Would you help us to remember Jesus, what He's done for us, the true leader of our lives? Help us at this time of community to prepare our hearts and our minds to think about you and ultimately who we want to be led by. Father, we trust you in all things because you know that you have good in store for us. You're a good father and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen.